HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. We talk about food. About music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz, with Chef Noah Sandoval of Oriel, Chicago, sitting in a beautiful freight elevator. 
Uh, I made the mistake of walking up the stairs because I thought the restaurant was all the way up oh, sure, instead sure. of just walking all the way back. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> I mean, if it's not if it's not open, you can't really tell. No. Um, so, congratulations. Thank I think you. is how I want to start because. You know, your restaurant uh, has just done some incredible things uh, since the time it's opened. Um, how does it feel to be part of the Chicago and the national food scene, like, right out of the gate? It feels great. It's intimidating. It always has been, you know. I've been here for about 10 years and uh, worked a lot of really nice places for really a lot of really talented chefs. And, and uh, you know, just to be able to kind of join that group you know of people that are teaching and and pushing things forward you know there's so many awesome people in the city it's, it, it feels great you know it feels good to be a mentor to give back for someone who had a mentor himself right? yeah that's a crazy word to use for me but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yes sure well, well let's go back to a little bit to the beginning uh you grew up in richmond virginia right that's right um but you traveled around a lot that's okay yeah, uh military family yeah my dad was a seal so Oh really? Yeah. Oh, like the real, real. Yeah, he was. We, we traveled a bunch, and he he was always like teaching schools in other countries, and and just you know, doing stuff we didn't we couldn't couldn't know about. So it was pretty pretty intense. I'd love to share with you kids, but I just I cannot. <laughs> um, and so, what was it like traveling around? Anything uh, from those early days influenced your later days? Um, I spent most of my time homeschooled, uh, and I, I spent a lot of time with my mom, and a lot of time uh, cooking with my mom. Uh, and she was, she was a great cook um, and yeah I just I, when I was bored I would cook or I'd play or I'd play baseball by myself which is kind of impossible um, just string that ball up and just keep hitting I it I did hitting yeah, it. yeah I had a big yeah. yeah we lived kind of in this there was this big thing out front of the hotel we lived in for three years um, in Scotland and uh, I just threw the ball up and hit it yeah and kept running um, and eventually after traveling around the world with your dad, you wound up back in Richmond and you started, you got a cooking job pretty much right away, right? Well, I washed dishes for a couple of years to start. Um, what made you get right into a kitchen when you got back to Richmond? Uh, well, all of my friends were doing it. You know, I had a lot of, a lot of friends that had just moved out of their parents' house or whatever. And they were, they figured out that you could pretty much get a job at a restaurant without having any experience because you always need something to do. Sure. Um, and luckily, I got into fine dining restaurants right off the bat. I've never worked in a restaurant that isn't wasn't fine dining. Um, but it, I don't know. It was kind of just like a natural way to go for me. A lot of musicians, a lot of just you can do whatever you want, you can wear whatever you want, you know, you can say whatever you want. You're, nobody <laughs> nobody sees you. All you gotta do is make sure things are clean. As long as the dishes are clean, long. you can sort of do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you haven't worked in fine dining since the beginning. You actually worked under uh, Chef David Shannon, correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, what was it like working at Helen's, and what was it like sort of getting in and getting a mentor um, so early on in your career? Uh, I think it's... Uh, I definitely would not be where I am now without him, without him giving me a shot at, you know, getting out of the dish pit and putting salads on a plate um, and also understanding how to treat people and you pay people as much as you can uh, and that you can be a total lunatic he's a total lunatic <laughs> I mean but in the best way possible right um, it, 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 he opened my eyes to a lot of things you know I mean it's sort of rare today for anyone to have a real proper mentor or to stay somewhere I mean it happens but it, I, th I feel like it's more the route is 
jumping from restaurant to restaurant until you can sort of like jump your way up instead of yeah. staying somewhere and learning under someone. Um, that's, ki- that's killing me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's it's killing everyone. But what can you say that, you know, outside of learning how to cook and the discipline was the one thing you learned from staying somewhere from so young and having a mentor that you find indispensable today? Um, there is, you know, working at a restaurant isn't, you're not going to culinary school. You don't go there. I'm not paying you to learn and then leave. You know, mm-hmm. I'm paying you to do a job. If you learn something, great, and that's a really that's the most important thing, really. But what can you really learn in, in a year? A couple of techniques. You can learn recipes. You can learn. Uh, I don't know. You can learn a hundred things. But the most important thing is to learn how to handle yourself mm-hmm. and how to and longevity. You know, if you if you can work for somebody for ten years and they must be doing something right, so that you see what they're doing and you continue doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you always have one foot out the door, you're like, I don't have to learn that. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving anyway. Exactly. Um, so you so you worked for David Shannon for a while, um, and you guys went to the Dogwood Grill and Spirits together, correct? That's right. Um, what was that like, and what was it like to get brought along somewhere? Um, it was great. I mean, he it, working at Dogwood was really amazing because uh, not only David was there, it was another... Um, one of the other partners named Roger Lord who sure. taught me a, a ton about wine while I was working there. Um, he was his, his hospitality was was insane, um, perfect. You know, the, the, those two together made something very beautiful, and I was really lucky to be part of it. Um, and David's very loyal. He's probably one of the most loyal chefs I know, or loyal people in general. If, if he likes you, he'll take care of you forever. You know, and <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, it's it's totally amazing, and it's he's very selfless. You and know? has it shaped the way that you take care of your chefs? I try to, you yeah. know, and but he's got a very special knack for that. You right. know, I, I try to take care of people as much as I can. I mean, my CDC is has been with me for years now, and I and I don't see. I hope and I don't think that he's going anywhere because hopefully I can f- give him what he needs. You know, it's that balance of like staying true to the restaurant and making it something that's consistent, but then also allowing people to grow. Exactly. Yeah. And then when it's time for people to leave, everybody knows it. Right. You know, if, if it's time for somebody to open their own place, everybody knows it, you know. And, and then you hope you can do it and support them. That's how you grow. Exactly. Yourself as well. Yeah. And hopefully there's some people, other people that, you know, feel that same way. So you've been cooking for a while. How old were you at this point when you were at uh, Dogwood? Who? Hmm. What year was that? I think I was probably 23. So you'd sort of been in kitchens for, what, six, seven years at that point? Yeah, I probably started when I was 16, yeah. What made you start thinking about going to culinary school? Because arguably, you didn't have to. Like, you could have stayed in Richmond and worked and probably got your own restaurant without ever going to one class. Absolutely. Um, I really just used it as an excuse to move to New Orleans. Oh, well, I Um, mean... That was it. That that doesn't take months. Yeah. (laughs) So what drew you to New Orleans? I mean, more than... Anyone else? What drew you specifically? Um, on my 21st birthday, I, I spent it in New Orleans, and uh, I'd never been anywhere like that. You know, I've lived in a lot of different places with my family, but never something so perfect for who I was at the time. You know, all I wanted to do was drink and cook and be outside and ride my bike, and, you know, there's a million things I wanted to do, and it had all of it. So, and it also had a culinary school, so I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's try this out. Um, and uh, after being, you know, a lot of times it's reverse. Most people who are in the restaurant world for six or seven years don't go to culinary school. What did you find is the benefits, or were there none? There were none. Um, I got a job about three weeks <laughs> three weeks before the school started, and um, 
I had been working for three weeks in a restaurant called Marisol. Oh yeah, amazing restaurant, legendary, amazing, amazing chef, uh, still friends. Um, and the first day of school, they were like, "Here's a zucchini. Here's how you cut. This is how you hold your knife." I was like, ah, "Fuck this! I'm, I'm not gonna pay for this when I'm getting paid to learn twice as much in an hour." You know, I just couldn't. I couldn't handle so it. So dropped out. Oh yeah, I was there for like two months. <laughs> really? Yeah. Could you, did you get your money back? Uh, I think I just didn't pay them. You know, it's just one of those like loan things. I was just credit was terrible for a long time. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and so, how long were you in uh, New Orleans for cooking? Uh, about a year and a half, I think. And then Richmond was calling back to you. Um, in a roundabout way, yes. What's the roundabout way? <laughs> I, I can't tell you about that. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll do that off the record. Um, but so then you go back to Richmond and you get a sous job at Dogwood. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then what made you? How were you feeling at this point? Because instead of you know you you or Richmond, New Orleans, then back to Richmond, did you feel that like you could go beyond that? Like, did you feel? that some other city was calling your name or? I, I didn't. Um, that was when I first started to kind of uh, vacation to Chicago. Okay. Um, and I was, I was on top of the world then, you know, I was working for my favorite person, um, you know, five days a week, everything was super fair. We were pushing forward. We were getting a lot of accolades and all the people I worked with were amazing. And I still hang out with them when I, when I go back to Virginia, that was like the highlight of by my career at that point. Uh -huh. um, and Dogwood closed, and I opened another restaurant with a friend. It just didn't work out. Um, just we kind of butted heads, and sure. it just didn't. And I was like, "Yeah, okay, it's time for me to, it's time for me to move on." And that's when I decided to come to Chicago. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick musical break. We're going to talk about some of the luminaries uh, you worked for in Chicago, and then we're going to talk about the opening of Oriole and everything that's come with it. Great. Uh, we have a song from the archives on Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Ok 
back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Chef Noah Sandoval in the Freak <laughs> Elevator. Oh, it's out there. Hello, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Chef Noah Sandoval in the Freight Elevator at Oriel. Um, so, what drew you to Chicago? Oh, music. Um, I like the music scene a lot here. I Blackbird and restaurant, for sure. I... Uh, Every time I used to come to visit, I would eat there, and, and uh, they're always doing special things. Um, it's a big city, and uh, I couldn't afford to live in New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you got here, how did you get uh, your first job in what was a line of incredible jobs under some of the city's top chefs? So when I, when I first moved here, I didn't know what a stage was. There was no staging in Richmond. Well, there probably is now, but there wasn't then. What year was this? 2007. Okay. Uh, so I showed up for my job interview, dressed real nice, no knives, nothing. Right. And they, they, Mike Simmons, who now um, owns Cafe Marie-Jean in Humboldt Park, was the uh, executive sous at this place called Sea House. And I showed up and I was like, all right, I'm here for my interview. He's like, well, do you, do you bring any knives or, or anything? I was like, no, what do you mean? So then I left, came back for a stage the next day, um, got the job. Uh, Marcus Samuelson was the chef there. Mm-hmm. He, was, he wasn't really there, but uh, he was the chef. With the name, the name yeah. on the yeah, he was the name on the on the menu. Yeah. On the name of the chef. Um, and so, what was it like going from Richmond to New Orleans to a much larger city? What was the was there a shift in the demanding, or was it since you had been trained so well, you fit right in? Um, I didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> uh, You're like, I got the. Did you yeah. did you think you knew what you were doing? Um, or I thought you, I had a good idea of how to kind of cook stuff, you sure. know, but it's a whole different world. I mean, it's not that it's better, but it's absolutely harder um, to, to, you know, as opposed to, you know, grilling meats in Richmond and, and grilling meats on a, on, a, on, a, on a grill in New Orleans, moving here and somebody tells you to, you know, circulate these, these steaks. And I didn't even put them in a bag. I just dropped them in the water. Like, and I was like, 
and the pastry chef saw me and she was like, dude, you're fucking up. You got to get it out of there right now. And I, so at least someone told you you were fucking up Yeah. instead of just like throwing it at a wall. She told me I was fucking up a lot, but in a good way. No, it was great. She was, I mean, she's one of the, she's one of the best, but, um, so then after sea house, uh, how long were you there for? Uh, not very long. I think I was there for eight, eight months, eight or nine months. Now, were you trying to find a place that uh, you could land and be at for a few years, or were you just trying to like make the rounds to see what you liked best? Um, at first, I was just trying to pay the rent, and sure. luckily, paid paid the rent. Um, I didn't really like the environment, and people well, they weren't very busy, and people's hours were getting cut, and then it got to the point where I needed to find another job. Sure. Um, so I, I had to leave. But then I, I, I landed at a, a spring restaurant with Sean McLean, and uh, that was really, really good. I learned a ton there. What did you learn? What did you add to your uh, your skills or your mindset? At spring? Yeah. Oh, how to properly cook fish, how to work at an extremely busy restaurant and still put out perfect food, uh, You know how to manage people. Um, I learned how to season food Quickly, uh, you know, I, I there's a lot. Of, I learned a ton of things. How to store fish. How to, you know, how to come in early if you needed to and stay late if you needed to. You know, interesting. So just more discipline, more responsibility. Absolutely. Um, and then after spring, you moved to what is arguably one of the most infamous, legendary restaurants of Chicago, Schwa, <laughs> uh, which um, my brother and I had an insane meal at during one pitchfork. We left the festival had like a two hour meal, got <laughs> just murdered, and then went back and saw LCD sound system. Yeah. Um, and then tried to pay, and then they kept putting the money back in our pockets. Yeah, they, if they don't want you to pay, you're not paying. I mean, they'll, they'll send it to you in the mail if you try to leave a tip. It, it was like, I was like leaving under plates, and they would just come up and like, no. And I was like, leaving under a nap, and they're like, no. Yeah, um, if, you don't, if they don't want you to pay, you're not paying. But I mean, so, you know, for those who don't know Schwa, what was the restaurant? And explain how different it was than probably the other places you had worked. Um, 26 seats. Uh, you can't really tell it's a restaurant unless you knew that it was uh, a restaurant called Schwa there in a storefront. Um, one menu, 13 to 15 to 20 courses, however many you felt like doing. Um, very casual, but very... Re- very refined and very whimsical and playful food, not in a, not in a stupid way, you know, in a really cool way, really thoughtful, highly intelligent, and it, al- it always has been and always will be. Uh, working there was was a bit tricky, um, you know. Sometimes you were running to the store to buy more, you know, whippets for Michael, sure, you know, or you or you were. I, there's a million things that I had to do when I worked there, and you know, ten of them were cooking. You know, <laughs> sure. Some of it was uh, personality maintenance. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I never did a single drug work in there. You know, I was like kind of the, the, the guy who just drank and kind of tried to make everything Desi- okay. designated like which, cooker. Which yeah, which I realize now is probably the wrong way to go about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's. But what did you learn there? Because they they have a lot of um, unique and molecular sort of techniques, but mm-hmm. it's not just to do them for doing them's sake, they actually are applying them in probably the best way possible. I mean, you, you, you just, you, you put it well by saying that, you know, it's everything, there's no, like, garnishes that aren't there for a reason. Sure. And think about every garnish, you know. He, he taught me how to bring certain elements into a dish by using things that look pretty or things that are 
manipulated in a way that it's n doesn't just add visual, you know, appeal or everything, you know, texture or sweet or salty. Something, everything brings something. That, I always tell everybody that it's balance. You know, it, he taught me about balance. And there was a, a, an idea of seasoning food that I had before and an idea of, of balance that I had, but nothing like he does. I mean, it, it's, the, he brings sweet so high and salt so high and acid so high that it all just makes sense and tastes like something completely different. You know, it, it's, it's like celery doesn't ever really taste that good, but if you give it to, to Michael, it's, it tastes better than anything. Yeah, you're like more celery, yeah. chef. <laughs> yeah. So how long are you there before you start thinking... I want a place of my own that you've done. I mean, you've, you more than most chefs, um, have really put in the time and a lot of restaurants in different cities, different States. Um, when did you start thinking it was time for you to strike out on your own? And when did you start formulating what that could look like? It was kind of a, a pretty interesting, uh, situation for me cause I had gotten married a couple of years before. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and I, she worked in the, in a bank. And we never saw each other, especially at Schwa. I never saw each other. Um, maybe, you know, on Sunday, but I was tired and she was getting ready for work right. on Monday. Uh, and so I decided that I should maybe try start to work during the day. You know, just kind of concentrate on the marriage, concentrate on, on the girl, because that's the most important thing. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was like, I'm going to get a, a chef job at like a cafe or something. I'm mm -hmm. just going to take it easy for a little bit. Because, I mean, Schwa takes a lot out of you. Oh, Dude, yeah. It, it'll make you... A, Reconsider if you're if you're <laughs> if you're in it if you're doing anything right <laughs> yeah. or wrong or anything, um, and that's when Senza happened. Mm -hmm. And that was a that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> when Senza happened, um, Senza happened was funny. I, you know, I, I I answered a Craigslist ad for a chef for a cafe. Com, you know, complete control of the menu, things like that. Yeah. Um, did a tasting for it. It was really funny tasting because there was another chef in the same kitchen applying for the same job. So it was kind of like this weird top chef kind of cook-off. <laughs> I'm not good at that. Um, but I got the job and they said, no, great. You know, you're going to be a big part of this. You know, you can, we can do whatever you want, but it's got to be gluten-free. Hmm. And I was like, okay. And that's like, just like, the, that's, that's, those, are, those, are, those are dirty words. Dirty words. Dirty words for, for a chef. You know, like people come in on the fly and say they're gluten-free 10 years ago. 15 years ago, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what gluten is. But but now... Yeah, I kind of took it head on and decided that... Fuck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do it. You know? yeah. it's just, it's not, it can't be that hard. It was a little challenging in the beginning, but we you know, we came up with good recipes and had really good, talented people working, and everybody w was in it to win it. And then things progressed, and we <laughs> went from <laughs> being open during the day to being open during the day and at night. Right, and then we closed during the day and just stayed open at night. We went from having an a la carte menu to having an a la carte menu and a tasting menu. Then we went from having those to just a tasting menu. So you're back to where you started. Back to where I started, um, and it, that was a hell of a learning uh, experience. Uh, running your own place is, is you always think you could do it. You're always right. like, I can do this. You're like, what? I already cook. Yeah, Whatever. I, cook. I can run my own place. Yeah, I'm good. I can. I'm, I'm creative. I can put things on the menu. It's like, okay, that is, just start looking at the books, you know, start looking at the numbers. And yeah. It gets a little tricky. Um, we made it happen. Uh, we did well. People loved it. It uh, wasn't as busy as we'd like it to be. It's, it was an East Lakeview gluten-free restaurant on a storefront where there's no parking. Just yeah. keep adding up the things against <laughs> yeah. you. So yeah. it eventually uh, 
Yeah, we, we opened and closed it, yeah. Okay. Kara and I. So we saw post to post. Wait, so she was there too? She walked out of the bank and walked into or, uh, to Senza the first day we were open because the general manager came in drunk too many times and he just had a problem. So we. Uh, so she left her bank job to come work in her kitchen with you or work uh, in the restaurant? Her, yeah, she ran the front of the house. Any she, experience she literally walked out, no, zero experience, literally walked out of the bank like at lunch and came and, and, and worked the first service. So then you went from sort of not seeing each other to seeing a whole lot of each other. Yes, and it's been that, that way ever since, yeah. Um, so sensor closes, and then how does Oriole start to take shape? Um, a couple regulars, well, three three key regulars all had the same kind of plan. They were like, we're going to get this guy, we're going to, if he wants to open a restaurant, we're going to make it happen. Um, and they all, all three provided a very good I should say four, or maybe even five people. I shouldn't say three because there's a, a group of a, a couple of us. Sure. Um, one guy said, "Hey, if you ever want to open a restaurant, let's talk. I can probably get get the money." One guy said, "Hey, if you ever want to open a restaurant, I've got a tiny little spot behind behind. I'm he's essentially the landlord of this building. He has this little spot behind his bar." And the other guy was like, "If you guys need any sort of financial support or any support, I got it." So those three <laughs> things happened all at once. And, and the restaurant closed. And the, and the restaurant closed. And they were all super respectful. And none of them tried to do this any earlier. You know, right. It was like, they waited it out, you know. That's really respectful that they didn't try and poach you. No, they, no. These, these dudes are all stand-up guys, and they would never do that. So then, so you have the space, you have the money, you have your wife running the front of the house. Mm-hmm. When did you, and you had another, you have another partner as well, right? Pastry chef? Yeah, Jeannie. Yeah. Jeannie. Was she the pastry chef that was yelling at you back in the day? No. <laughs> that uh, was just a different pastry I, chef. That would be, Jeannie, Jeannie yelling at somebody would be very, would be terrifying. <laughs> I, um, she like could be like in a, in like a metal band for sure. Um, so you have uh, your, your two partners, you have the backing of the space. How does it all come together? How, what are the, how do the final pieces fall into place? Um, it was, it was kind of just making sure that we had the right people on, on the build out, right people on, uh, on creating everything and everybody's super motivated to do that. You know, everybody wants to have their, 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 their input, you know, and I'm very lucky with that. Um, so opening up, I would say another fine dining tasty menu restaurant in Chicago in a city that is rife with small fine dining tasting menu restaurants, uh, could have gone the other way, but you have seen success pretty much from the start of when it opened, which was not that long ago. Yeah. Um, how do you, what do you owe to that? And how did you make a menu that was going to stand out and be unique? Um, <clears throat> it went through our minds a lot that we were just definitely taking a huge risk, mm-hmm. you know, we were, and in the beginning we were, we were willing to be flexible with how we kind of approached, uh, approach the restaurant, do exactly what we want to do first, and if we need to kind of sway one way or the other, we will. Which is um, important to have that flexibility. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily smart to do that, but it's better than nothing. Better than all or nothing. Uh, did you find that sort of from your confidence of cooking for so many years? Like, the, you didn't have to prove that, like, I said I'm going to do this and I'm going to yeah. do this? Well, I think I'm just stupid. You know what I mean? I think I'm just, like, <laughs> I'm just dumb. I, I think I can do it, so I did it. And luckily it worked. The, I mean, I owe it all to Kara and Jeannie and Tim and Aaron. You know, I can't do this by yourself. And I, I owe all of it to them. And that's why I knew. Because we had this amazing team right from the beginning. People people that knew how I operate. You know, it's yeah. like, 
it's not going to fail. Like we're not going to let it fail. It's not not going to happen. It's not not an option. And so how would you, for people who may have not had the chance to come to Chicago or been here yet, how would you describe the food um, and your approach to it? Um, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to nail that one down. Um, I lean towards a lot of Asian ingredients, a lot of Asian flavors, not necessarily delicate ones, more bold. Uh, I kind of want everything to taste. This is something I learned from Mike Simmons, actually, is that I want everything to taste as much like it itself as it can. You know, whether it takes sugar or salt or acid or whatever it is, I want that element of that dish to taste as much like it can um, and then put those things together. Uh, the, 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 cor- the course is kind of cleanse. I don't know. I can get really deep into it. But get deep. <laughs> I try to use actual courses as palate cleansers, you know, three or four times throughout the meal. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to wipe your palate with something that also tastes delicious, not just here's a little scoop of something acidic. <laughs> sorbet. Yeah, sorbet. Yeah. You know, I try to I try to make sure that you're always there's always contrast, you know, and I think it, it works out pretty well. Um, well I mean it's worked out very well. I mean we could go through the list of accolades, but I don't think I need to embarrass <laughs> you with I mean what is like a laundry list from like Michelin, uh, food and wine, you know, James Beard nods and things like that. I guess when you get so many accolades and recognitions so early, how do you keep focused on pushing and growing um, and being at the restaurant? Because it's so easy to be like, okay, I'm here, now I'm gonna go on like the never-ending chef circuit around yeah. the world for events and things like that. Um, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you stay focused and at the same time knowing that's part of it? And you've earned the right, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it because you've also earned the right to go around yes. the world and have insane opportunities from legendary chefs. Yes. So how do you balance it? Um, I pick and choose the ones I feel like are, are I, I shouldn't say worth it, but I pick and choose the ones that are worth it. Um, yeah, say it. You know, not it's, all of it's, it's worth it. Yeah, not all of it's worth it. Not every party is a good party. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a life experience and a, and a focused balance that people have to have. I wish that I was here every day, all day, which I, for the most part I am. I think probably 95% of the time Probably higher than that. Ninety-nine percent of the time, I'm at the restaurant, working service from mm-hmm. beginning to end. But there is that one percent of time where I'm like, I have to go and cook with Ducasse for a week. Like I have to. I mean, <laughs> twist my arm. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Bend my knives. But uh, but the thing is, is that I I've got I've got Tim and I've got Jeannie that I mean they're here and they know exactly what I want. You know, and it's it doesn't it doesn't suffer. And you have to find in. in uh, inspiration from a lot of different places and what's better than you know going to France for a little while or going to New Orleans to cook for a little while or going back home to cook for a little while that everything kind of inspires you and if you stay in the same place you know you can read books or watch TV or look at Instagram or something but I'm just not into you know just looking at other people's stuff and doing it no so finally uh, what would you like to see the future of the restaurant and uh, for people to experience as they come in and as the word spreads I think what we wanted in the beginning is, is, is definitely what we have now. We want a warm, comfortable environment, no pretense. Um, we want people to feel very comfortable and they want people to come back and want people to not spend too much money. It's expensive, but it's not, I don't think it's too much money. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I think the, the value is pretty good in this one. Yeah. Um, internally, I, th- I just want everybody to, be, to make money and to be happy and to be creative and have a, have a, a good lifestyle and be able to come to work, be happy about what they do, 
and be able to go out on the weekends and, and, and do whatever they want to do in their life. And just see their wives and husbands. Exactly. And partners. Yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Good thing Tim and Jeannie are a couple, so that, that would be tough. Oh, man. <laughs> just it's like couples day every day. That's how I met Jeannie. They're, they're, yeah, they've been together for a while. All right. Well, Chef, congratulations. If people want to find you guys online, where can they find you? Uh, OriolesChicago.com. And if they want to find you in real life, what's the best way to find the restaurant? Because it's <laughs> tucked away down an alley behind a freight elevator. Um, look for the awning. Um. There's a sign outside. It's <laughs> there's not. A, there's a little it's, sign. It's in. not completely like you. It's just far enough down the block where you start to go like, "What the?" Okay, there's the sign. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm looking forward to eating tonight. Oh, yeah, that's, gonna be, that's gonna be great. I'm very excited. We have another band from the archives on Snacky Tunes, and then we have a live performance here on Heritage Radio Network. Org. You should understand There's nothing to talk about You and I may just disagree You and I can't relate what do you mean you could hardly get to your feet? You won't leave yourself alone. How could you turn this down when it's something you needed? You left off on the telephone that you had been meaning to dial. Not terrible, you you hurt yourself to the bone. You say that this doesn't matter to you. Little Lucy, oh, why won't you leave yourself
following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 potato chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Hi, it's Jameson Fink, Senior Digital Editor for Wine Enthusiast, and welcome to the most wonderful time of the wine year. It's sparkling wine time. It's the holiday season. Get ready. Buckle up. Uh, you've got your holiday parties, your fancy meals, your get-togethers, and then, of course, all culminating in what is the Super Bowl of sparkling wine, New Year's Eve. So I just want to give you some advice on how to get the most bang for your buck when you're shopping for sparkling wine. Now, I'm not going to say get wine X, Y, or Z. Um, I'm going to stay instead give you a, a type of sparkling wine from France to look for that is going to give you uh, a lot of deliciousness, a lot of flavor, a lot of quality, and that is Cremant. So just look for any wines that say Cremant on the label. And it'll also say, after that, it'll say uh, Cremant from a place. Like it'll say um, Cremant d'Alsace or Loire or Bordeaux or Burgundy. Burgundy will say Bourgogne. But uh, any of those, they should be, I don't know, I'm going to say if you get it on sale, 15 bucks. I'll head to my bets and say 20 just so I don't get in trouble. Say for around twenty dollars, definitely not more than thirty. I don't think I've seen one um, thirty dollars or more. If it is, it better blow my mind. But it's much cheaper than champagne, and it's made in the same high quality method. It's uh, the secondary fermentation is in the bottle. Uh, this is this is good stuff, folks. So that is uh, my tip for as far as you know, like what to buy. But um, also want to back up, even though I kind of hyped it up in the beginning about. Um, December being such an amazing time of year for sparkling wine. Well, really, let's just jump to January and your New Year's wine resolution. Your first one should be drink more sparkling wine. Drink it all the time. Uh, I love still wines. Love my still whites. Love my still reds. No offense. But uh, sparkling wine is really something that um, it's not just for celebrations, even though I just said it is. Well, I didn't say it was just for celebrations. I just was, you know, saying holidays, et cetera. But uh, really, January, February, March, April, May, rest of the calendar year, you should always be drinking sparkling wine. Um, just for food that's really popular and that's beloved, like fried food, it's definitely the best wine for fried food. Fried chicken, French fries, uh, potato chips, uh, anything that's beige and crispy uh, is a sparkling wine slam dunk. And um, But it's not just for the salty snacks and the fried things. Um, seafood salads and and not just for like lighter things like oh just having a salad you know like just a light lunch feeling good it's my little shakes the clown reference but um uh 
actually one of the best food and wine pairings I ever had was steak and champagne. It was a rich uh, vintage champagne. And I was like, champagne and steak, you can't do that. And it was sensational and phenomenal. Um, and I think one of the reasons why is with something like a steak, uh, you know, it's that kind of cab and a slab mentality. You got a big piece of meat, you need a big wine to stand up to it. But um, there's also that contrasting thing where you kind of want to, you know, refresh the palate to have something. You have something rich and heavy. You uh, counteract that with something light and refreshing. So, um, you know, go ahead and uh, open up a bottle of champagne or sparkling wine when you have a steak, or anything, any a burger or anything where you've got a lot of competing things on it. Like you know, you put a burger, you got um, your your ketchup, your mustard, your pickles, um, some cheese. Uh, I don't know, maybe some hot sauce, condiments, various condiments and pickled and preserved things. You know, uh, sparkling wine is great with that. So, uh, oh, and brunch, fantastic. I mean, nothing beats spark a sparkling wine brunch, long lunch with sparkling wine. That's pretty much my idea of heaven. So that, I guess, in my New Year's wine resolution to you. I guess another resolution would be um, um, drink wine in alternative packaging, like a box. Um, there's a – actually, I just wrote something for um, – uh, I got asked by Forbes, sort of like, what would I bring as a secret Santa? And I said, a three-liter box of wine, um, this high-quality uh, Sicilian wine. Uh, it's made from organic grapes. Uh, it's four bottles, you know, in one three-liter box for about, mm, I don't know, it's like $30, $32. It's easy to wrap. Uh, it's got a handle on it. You can carry it everywhere. I mean, what's not to love? So um, I guess my two resolutions would be more sparkling wine and uh, don't turn your nose up at things like box wine or Tetra packs or even cans and things like that. So um, uh, happy holidays, everyone. And uh, I'll be raising my champagne flute to all of you at Snacky Tunes and all of you listening in. And oh, that reminds me one more thing. Uh, I just wrote a diatribe uh, defending the champagne flute, which a lot of uh, sommeliers and wine pros and champagne champagne folks hate on. So um, if you just uh, Google champagne flute winemag.com, you can read that and um, tell me if you're on um, team flute, hashtag team flute. And uh, thanks again. Take care. Cheers. Welcome back. We have Thick live in studio. Nikki, Sherry, Kate, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi. Uh, Grim Streaker and Annie Hart both said that we should have you on. So, oh, that's are. so that's sweet, sweet of them. Like totally, they totally separately. Oh, they thanks, just y'all. Have them come on. Um, one of the interviews I read with you, you talked about how female bands are taking over the male-dominated scene. <laughs> sure, <laughs> was that me? Perhaps. <laughs> That sounds like something I would say. How? What do you think the gap is that female bands are covering that male bands are not able to do anymore? Or just uh, why do you think of theirs and rise is happening? Um, I could give an opinion from my perspective. I've been playing music here since I'm 17, like in New York City. And I was used to going on Craigslist and there were so many dude bands that were like, like, we don't want girls in the band. Like, we're just looking for guys. And I was always the only girl in an all-male band, and we would play so many shows, and it was, like, so dominated by by dudes all the time. And I think we saw, like, a, like starting a couple of years ago, like, all these girl bands were, like, popping up, which is, um, I think, amazing. I think, like, it was a camaraderie of, like, everyone, like, communicating about what they were doing. Yeah. And, yeah, that became the thing. It was, like, now people are, like, dude bands, like... It's all about the girl bands. <laughs> so wait, um, can you ask the question again? Yeah, what What do you think um, the female bands bring to the table that the male bands were no longer bringing to the table? You go first, then. <laughs> Something that I know is a safe space. Like, 
it's just, I don't know, um, more of an inclusion. Sometimes when I, when I first moved to New York, I'd go to shows, and I'd like love going to any kind of show. And it was always like really aggressive, which is fine, but almost too aggressive. Like where up front, you just get smashed and pushed in the face, just like, and it's fun, but it almost felt like violent. And it wasn't like, let's just party together. Let's like jump around together. It's like, I'm going to beat you up. And I felt like all the shows I used to go to just got more and more aggressive. And so I think that's something that I know Thick does. I can't talk for every single female fronted band or female bands in general, but I think we bring more of a safe space of like, Respect everyone, respect their space, respect safety, like have fun and be together and together. That's how I just feel about it. Yeah. Where it used to kind of be a girls to the front was something you would have to say, and now I feel like at our shows at least, like we don't ever have to say that. And anybody's up front, but now it's like boy, girl, anything you want to be, like you're up front and you're included and you're you're just Uh not you're respected. If you get crowd surfed, I feel like you always land, like people like (laughs) help you land (laughs) and like look out for you. And I think that women sometimes in this scene have a chip on their shoulder that men don't have. It's always been assumed that some guy can pick up a guitar and play music mm-hmm. that sounds kind of like what everyone's already played and get decent shows and be booked. But I feel like there's, at least for me and some other women I talk to, there's a sense of having to prove yourself a little bit more before you're taken seriously, which I think just changes a lot of what we say and what we do as a band. Right. It's like, they're a girl band and they can play. Yeah. Oh, yes. like, come always. on. Oh, yes. <laughs> But do you feel that that is changing at all, or even like slightly a little bit better? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh-huh. Yes, we can say slightly. marginally better. Oh, I think definitely <laughs> yeah. better. I mean, the New York Times wrote an entire article about it that yeah. women are rolling rock music. So I think people are taking note, and that was kind of sweet because a lot of actually guys in our scene um, came up to me and they were like, "Oh yeah, we were happy to see you in it." But I mean, duh, we all know that you guys like women are kicking ass in rock music, and I was like, "Well, you might think that, but." I think as a broader general acceptance, there's still a lot of work to be done. I think in Brooklyn, we've it's changed a lot in the past mm-hmm. couple of years. I mean, that article came out about two months ago. Um, you said people have seen you in it, but have you seen even more response for it? Or what has kind of been the result of being in that article or, or people's perception? More people know. listen to our stuff on Spotify. Right. <laughs> yeah. It seems like all different types of people, like have reached out on like Instagram like I guess more people like following it on Spotify and like Instagram and it's it's not like one specific like type of person I feel like it's all different types of people which is really cool so like that's always really good to see do you feel that I mean you're still relatively young but do you feel that there's you know like 15 or 14 or 16 year old girls reaching out to Get influenced. I want more. I, will, I have <laughs> a little sister. You? She's 16. And I'm like, tell your friends that I'm your cool older sister and hang out, you know, listen to Thick. <laughs> and she doesn't really, but I, I love she's that. She's playing I'm, guitar, though. I wish when I was 16, I had women playing like this, you know? I, I really, Alanis Morris, mm-hmm. that was my thing when I grew up. I loved Alanis. <laughs> but so I wish, true. and like, I, yeah, I don't know. I just wish, I would love younger women to be like, oh man, like, this is so cool. Just be inspired. <laughs> Buy it, I'll never forget the nine-year-old girl at our Richmond show who came up <laughs> after the set and talked to each one of us and was like, you know, I think you played really well. And she was just so cute and so small. And I was like, thanks. It's very sweet of you. Do you, like, do you, do you play do music? It. Do you like... She was like, I like to sing and dance. And I'm like, you should keep doing that. Like, definitely keep doing that because it's really fun. <laughs> She's adorable. Can we hear a song? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so this one's Bleeding. It's about getting your period. <laughs> as you do and like all the chaos that comes with it like you hate yourself you hate your friends you hate New York City it usually happens every every month for why me. does New York City get hated 
Oh my god! <laughs> it brings it out. I was like, on my bike and I was like, I fucking hate it. Oh, yeah. I, sorry, whatever. I hate everybody right yeah. now, and I hate the cars. I hate the people. It's too fast. And then like four days later, I'm like, I love this place. It's it's just part just of too having much stress. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it's the beauty of having the bleeding. I love it. So that's, that's <laughs> this next song is called Bleeding. Great. Here we go live on Snacky Tunes. You talk about your influences being Blink-182, Taking Back, Sunday. <laughs> and I'm curious how their lyrics kind of square with what you're writing about. Uh, it's just because sometimes there are like very like party boy or like uh. girlfriend type stuff. What do, you pull, what do you pull from them and what do you leave behind? Oh well, they're just so much fun and they don't take themselves too seriously. And when we started Thick a uh, couple what, years ago, Sherry and I, it was all about fun. And it was like a party band. It really was. Yeah, was. I'm like, I don't see enough women partying on stage and like banging their hair and all that kind of stuff and like <laughs> not taking themselves too seriously and writing like stupid songs. And like one of our first songs is Take Your Clothes Off and Party With Me. You know? Because <laughs> yeah. that was something that we would do yeah, a lot. I feel like <laughs> the hardest thing sometimes like being in bands is to have fun. And I feel like yeah. when I like joined Thick and I was talking to them, I was like, oh, like this is so fun. I mean, we yeah. figured out how to like have fun and not be like <laughs> well it's a balance you can have fun and still play yeah. well at right. first yeah. we would just be we would have yeah. fun and like we were fun to watch but we were not very good to listen to <laughs> and to be honest we were terrible but it was always a sh- it was yeah. always fun and it's still just as fun but now I'm like wait I've been playing guitar for so long like, uh, let's 
like take ourselves make a little bit seriously right. and make an effort like so we can yeah we like i think we're, we found the balance so that's why i love like, <laughs> oh, i thought no they were just so funny and they didn't take themselves mm-hmm. seriously and and take yeah. them back sunday i don't even yeah. know i just also those melodies more those melodies i think have they've always been really easy to remember because mm-hmm. i listen to all that stuff like I grew up on Long Island, like, middle school, high school, and, like, I don't know, they're, they're super easy and fun, and... Catchy hooks, lots yeah. of harmonies, I feel yeah. like, for sure. And that definitely wears off on us. And for writing your lyrics and kind of not just being uh, pigeonholed as, like, a girl band or just writing things that, how do you balance it? Because they're super simple, but they're also really meaningful and have a lot of depth, so, like, how did you balance to get your message apart while being fun, taking yourself seriously, not being put into a corner... Um, I think there's real things that we write about. I know all the songs that we have so far, like, I actually feel it when I write it, you know? Or we write it together, yeah. and it's, like, real. They're extremely honest. They're yeah. honest, yeah. And in that way, I think it makes them relatable and easy for people to understand, because it's a lot of the stuff that people go through is mutual. It's shareable with other audiences, and regardless of, like, yeah. your perspective or background. And something I've been trying like I've struggled with throughout Thick is we do write a lot of songs about love and heartbreak or just kind of fucking stuff up in relationships and it's like I'm like oh, I'm, I shouldn't be writing about love because that's all women do is write about love like no, that's too girly but I'm like wait why are we putting down females and what we t- it's okay to be a girl and talk about love if all men writing about songs and love and heartbreak why can't girls sing about it and why are we pigeonholed as being a Sensitive girl about and so I had to struggle with that for a while. I was like, you know, fuck it. This is like real. I'm going yeah. through a heart. I'm going through a breakup right now and I want to sing about it. Or <laughs> I made a fool of myself last night talking to somebody, like some girl or boy. Like I, you know. So it's just kind of, um, yeah. It's very honest, as a case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all the experiences also that people go through. So it's like listening back to her music. It's really interesting knowing like what everyone in the band was going through with like a certain yeah. person, like relationship. And I think like that's really cool. It is. If they're so honest and like of a piece in time, have you now written enough songs that had enough distance that you'll sing something and be like, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. But I went through that and then there's some distance. Oh, I now. hate it. Wasting my time is my least favorite song to play. I hate Why is that? Because it's about, well, it's about, I was like, it's about a breakup, a really hard one. And it's just so whiny. And it's like, oh, like, I don't even, it is angry. It's like, I, don't, I never loved you anyway, which is true, which I like that part. But I'm just like, you're leaving. It's like, shut up, Nicole. Get over it. It was, uh, that's the only song I'm like, ugh. Everyone I else likes that song. that song, though. Yeah. I mean, you gotta play it for the fans. It's like a grunge <laughs> I, I feel like. Or one fan, Sherry's mom. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I really like that song, even though I can see yeah. that it's painful. She, like, relates to all of <laughs> And do you ever find that um, if you come to a song that's not as honest, you say that the other band members will be like, you need to go back and redo this or kind of come a little bit more correct yeah I'm like you need yeah. to face the wall and rewrite well, we'll be playing together <laughs> and like it just won't go anywhere when we have a song when we do write songs it just comes so easy yeah, it, it locks, really it nice locks really in easy. it locks in or it doesn't if it's not locking in I think we just like move forward yeah yeah like, and I'm like you know what I don't, I'm not really into this like it just doesn't really go anywhere we have a, quite a few of those where like it just didn't really go anywhere hit the heart was it because the the content wasn't true or just like it just didn't come together for all the other elements well, we have a couple like actually well structured songs, but I don't. Some one song we have, it's done. I don't like the melody of it. You know, I like the context, I like the words, I like the lyrics, but the, I don't like the way I sing the verses, and I haven't found a way to fix that yet. Yeah, and we've gone back and revised some older ones too, where we're like, this is great from this point on in the song, but let's just rip this apart and like give it a whole new beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as you get older and you can like look back in the past, you like admit things to yourself that you couldn't at the time. So do you have to like change a few words mm. or a couple of lyrics yeah. based on like, you're like, actually I was lying Definitely. to myself then. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, what's, what's the... Um, I'm blanking right now. But there's some songs I sing about, like, men, and now we sing about women. So it's just like, that, we've changed that quite a few times. Which, that is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Also making certain lyrics more gender neutral overall. Yeah, yeah like, in, in bleeding. Yeah, it's turning yeah. more gender neutral, because when we wrote it, I was, I was, like, a freaking, like, so unoblivious to the I was, like, so oblivious to the world. And, like, the culture and society, all this kind of crazy stuff. I just, like insensitive at times you know unintentionally insensitive so i think we're just more aware of what we're right now when did you start making it gender neutral or like was it a conscious decision or how did that evolve <laughs> when two of us became gay <laughs> <laughs> no 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 when we, when we both started dating women i think we've opened i mean like i've never been part of the lgbtq world before so now honestly that was a huge thing for me i'm like wait i don't want to keep saying about boys because i'm in love with a woman and i think you can talk about both of those things or whoever you're in love so that that will me yeah it makes you more aware to like these lyrics could be for anyone so you can like replace like boyfriend with girlfriend or like it doesn't matter yeah I think just we have so many friends that are like uh, really respectful and aware of things I think like being around those people like it makes us aware of like we should totally change that yeah Um, we want to yeah like we want to honor like everyone's feelings and like make them feel safe not just relate to this song it's not just about like some girl and a boy it's like and women we say women now I try to say women yeah. but like it's just being more thoughtful <laughs> is it harder to fit in the two syllables versus girl I love saying I love saying the word girl though I just love how it feels like mm-hmm. I just like girl cause saying One. boyfriend is like I think like uh. since the 70s it's just been so like how it's said like in music boyfriend like it's fun to say something different can we hear another song for yeah. sure what are you gonna play for us the next one is called <laughs> Girly. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That. We're putting out a we're just put a, a music video for the song too. Cool. Uh, here we go live on Snacky Tunes.
So you just got done or doing your first session for your new EP last weekend? Yeah. Two weekends ago? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are you recording? What's the process? We are recording at Cowboy Recording Rig, I think is what it's called. Um, It's in Greenpoint with our friend Mario. He did girly as a single for us and just like nailed it really fast it was such an easy process so we decided to go back and work with him for this next ep and how has it evolved from the earlier work or is there any changes besides pronouns and thinking about (laughs) girls instead of guys oh you're talking about like like the musical recording part or the song the songs I think they're growing up as we're growing up. Yeah. I think musically and content-wise, it's shifted yeah, a, little. a little bit better. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. very... I can never play any... I still kind of fuck up on the ribs, but like now I can actually like nail them. Yeah. So that... Yeah. And yeah. then... Actually, Sherry's a little more simple on the drums. She was a constant fill. The whole song, first, the first year of Thick was as a fill. Yeah, I think we were taking more notice into parts and dynamics and really like breaking it down section by section if we want it to shift in a certain way or really have a buildup that's effective and trying to work on that as a band and make sure making sure that all three parts fit together mm-hmm. for every piece of the song in a way that we haven't necessarily dissected things as much in the yeah. past. It's a slightly more um, thoughtful process. I think it's also really... It's, like, way easier now, I think, being in a studio. I feel like we're, like, way tighter. Yeah. It's more, more like, fluid. Fewer takes. Yeah. Do everything live. We know what we're, like... Screw a click track. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just, like, run with it. And you also have some upcoming shows as well, right? Yes. We are playing on November 6th at Elsewhere, which just is opening up. Finally. Shout out to Rami and Jake. Yeah, I love those guys. They're Um, old friends of Snacky Tunes and patiently waiting. Oh, they're so fantastic. I'm really excited for that space. I think it's going to be a really, really good addition to Brooklyn and Bushwick particularly. Um, Or even better, like bringing back something that's been missing for like a couple years. Yes. R.I.P. Glasslands. R.I.P. Glasslands. Uh, (laughs) That was so nice. I was just reminiscing about one of those shows the other day. Um, But, and then we're also playing at Union Pool on the 9th. And then we're taking a break mm-hmm. and playing a New Year's Eve show at Rough Trade with Diarrhea Planet. Amazing. That we're yeah. so stoked for because we're all giant fans of Diarrhea <laughs> Planet. We were like, that's can all I just, we want to do is play with Diarrhea Planet. I think we're going to retire after that show. Yeah, we'll be done. Click is done. So we're like, so we were like at practice like a year or two ago and Nicole's like, all I want to do is just open up for Diarrhea Planet and that's it. We're going to retire. So I guess we're retiring the next day. Yeah, so we're done. We're done. Okay. Hopefully the EP gets finished before then. Oh, we've got a month and a half, two months. Yeah. Two months. Oh, okay. We're good. Who gets to play um, for when the ball drops? Probably not us. I'm I don't, I don't know, know if I, the show will even go that late. Yeah. I have no idea. Oh. I assume Diary oh, Planet. I, I would assume that anything that's happening that night, like, it you're, should. Like you're there. You're not going to. I'm so. so. I, I hope they, they play. Kick us out at like what are they? Yeah, yeah. You're like by yeah. 11:30. Like okay. 11:59. This did not work out. I'm stuck in bed for that. I hope they play Ghost with a Boner on midnight on New Year's Eve. Can you make the request? Yeah. You can probably just be like, I'll hey. Um, <laughs> well, we'll make, to- make sure we have time for one more song, but yep. where can people find you? Listen to Spotify, et cetera, Instagram. Spotify, Bandcamp, Instagram, Facebook. We, we are pretty findable, I think. Thick.band. Thick.band is our website. <laughs> it's actually true. Because you can actually make websites that are .band now. Um, and we, what else? I think Instagram's the most fun. Yeah. Thick in Music. Brooklyn. Thick, yeah, Thick yeah. in Brooklyn, Facebook, Instagram. Brooklyn spelled out. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, thanks for coming by. Uh, what are you going to take us out with? Uh, Luke's Diner, Puke's Diner. It's just, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing, Puke's Diner. Yeah, it has Great. two names. 
Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Snacky Tunes. Here we go.
about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.